behold, be and behold. That is a phrase I think that probably sounds a little unfamiliar to us, but is an accurate representation of what we are prone to do. Um, We often place ourselves, we choose to place ourselves in front of certain things. There's these good things in our life that we love and we enjoy and we choose to to give our focus and our energy and our time and our attention uh, to certain things. And when we choose to behold certain things, when we we set our eyes and our hearts and our focus on certain things, it can actually impact us in pretty drastic ways. I've always heard, maybe you've heard this, and I know it's true, that that we are wired to worship. We are wired to worship, but but what we choose to worship, what we behold, it, it changes us and it affects us. Now, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Reggie Miller. Uh, He was the star shooting guard of my hometown Indiana Pacers. Uh, He was my first real sports hero. And I'd say, well, I knew everything about him. I wore my uniform like him. Um, Still to this day, if I play basketball, I dribble six times before I take a free throw because that's what Reggie Miller did. Um, I bought his shoes. I bought his clothes. I wore his number. I was so just enamored with Reggie Miller uh, that I even found out what food he liked and I pretended to like it myself. Um, I spent so much time idolizing Reggie Miller that it affected who I was. It affected how I lived my life. And, and we have a comparison. You can tell uh, the resemblance is, is uncanny. Do we, have that, do we have that picture? There it is. Yeah, you're just so, so, so uncanny. I mean, you can barely tell us apart. Um, you know, but, but what we focus on, what we give our energy to, what we behold, it, it impacts and it, and it changes our identity. And I wish I could stand here today and tell you that I immediately grew out of that mentality when I, when I grew up, but, but I didn't. Um, it took a while. Even when I made Jesus my, my Lord and Savior, I didn't allow my identity to be fully found in that relationship. And I think many of us, even after having a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God, we can continue to search for other things to fill us, search for other things to define us, search for other things to add to our identity. It's almost as if God isn't enough. And so I didn't grow out of it at at first. Uh, I went through a season of life where I I ran races. I wanted to get uh, 50 finishing medals by the time I I turned 50. And and it was was, was a great little run I had there. Um, I did did pretty well, but it it hit me um, a couple years ago that I'm trying to build my life on something. I'm beholding something that's not going to fulfill me. I tried out all kinds of random hobbies, thinking I would find fulfillment down that path. And what I found out was, it was time-consuming, but, but not fulfilling. I even found myself saying that I wanted to be the best dad, the best father that the world has ever known. I'm striving to be a great father. That is undoubtedly a good thing. But finding my full identity, uh, us trying to find our full identity in parenthood, isn't what we were designed for. It can't hold that type of weight. You see, as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, I've spent a considerable amount of my faith life wrestling with or or trying to fight off what felt like a spiritual identity crisis. I knew that I needed to find my identity solely in Jesus. But it just, for whatever reason, I wasn't giving it that full attention. I felt like that's not enough, so I looked for other areas of life to add value. And I know I'm, I'm not alone in this either. Because many of us are living a life that is far removed from what God has desired for us. A lot of us, we, we, our faith is just less fulfilling than what we ever envisioned. 
Because as children of God, as followers of Jesus, a lot of us are still looking for our identity. We're trying to find who we are. We're trying to find our value, our worth, and our satisfaction outside the bounds of that relationship. It's almost like we say, God, you're good, but not good enough. I need to find these other things to fill me up. So what happens is, is we go from hobby to hobby, social group to social group, experience to experience, maybe job to job. From cause to cause, we'll fight for this cause until we get worn out and it doesn't fill us up. Now we'll fight for this cause. Some of us go from relationship to relationship, maybe even vice to vice, hoping that we will find that fulfillment that we've long desired. Yet what I've experienced, and I think you have in some regard as well, I know many people have, is that the more that we grasp at things outside of God to fill us up, the more let down we are when we finally find out that that's not who God desired or designed us to be. Be and behold. What we focus on, what we give our attention to, what we behold impacts our lives and impacts our identity. And I believe this series that we're entering into today will help us discover or or maybe even rediscover our God-given identity. Because that's always been a struggle for God's people, people just like you and me. For thousands of years, God's children, I think to, to our own detriment, we've looked for our value, we've looked for our worth outside of God. And a significant amount of our Bible is about just that. God's people trying to find their God-given identity outside of God. Let me say it again. A significant amount of our Bible is about the same story. God's people trying to find their God-given identity outside of God. And we can go all the way back 3,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago, and we can see this battle that we face today in the work and the lives of God's people. Uh, In the book of Exodus, if you want to jump there, we're going to spend a good amount of time there today. In Exodus chapter 1, we find out that God's people are being held as slaves. They're they're held captive in Egypt. And this isn't a new story for them. This had been going on for over 200 years. Now think about that. That means generations of families being stuck in slavery for 200 years. So family after family after family, they know nothing but oppression, heartache, hopelessness, slavery. That's all they know. That's their identity. In chapter 3, verse 7, God says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Which is surely good news to God's people, right? After 200 years of captivity, after 200 years of slavery, I'm certain that some of them thought for sure that God had forgotten about them. I think you and I, if we, all we knew is generation after generation after generation, we're just slaves. I think a lot of us would even think that God had forgotten about us. But even after 200 years, God had not forgotten about them. And it's so important that we understand that no matter what you're going through right now, God knows and he's not forgotten about you. And I get it, we're, we're all up against different things. There's, 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 there's darkness probably that we're all dealing with. There's fractures in relationships, there's pains we're dealing with, and and I get it at times. People like you and I, we may think God has forgotten about us. It it may seem like God is silent on the things we're begging him to to speak into and, and to act against. It may feel like he's forgotten about those things that's just weighing us down, that he doesn't care about the burdens we carry. But if we choose to believe what we actually know about God, what we know is that no matter what we're up against, he has not forgotten about us. And he didn't forget about his children there in Egypt either. 
So after 200 years, the story goes that God miraculously frees his people. Uh, But not only that, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 34, 35, and 36... Um, well, this is very important. We read that, that God caused the Egyptians on, on the way of his people out of town. God caused the Egyptians to look favorably on his people to the extent that, that God had the Egyptians give his children gold on the way out of town. All right, this is going to be very important to what we, we talk in just a little bit about. That God made sure the Egyptians gave his people the gift of gold on the way out of slavery and into freedom. And so God miraculously frees his people. He then continues to miraculously part the Red Sea while the Egyptians, who they've had a change of mind, uh, they're charging after God's people. In verse 29, but the people of Israel, so God's children, had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. And listen to this, when the people of Israel, so when God's children saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And so what happened in this moment, this moment where the people put their faith in God is that God has given his children a new identity. For hundreds of years, their identity was found in slavery Their identity was found in making bricks. Their identity was found in in bondage and desperation and despair. Maybe this is how you feel, but but for hundreds of years, God's children, they found their identity through their circumstances, through the things that had happened to them. But now they've put their faith in, in, in God. They have a new identity. Their identity is now found in being his children and nothing more. And that's our goal, to put our identity in God and nothing else, knowing that's where we find our value, that's where we find our worth, nothing else. And so God's people, they, they watch as their old identity is literally washed away in the sea. And now they rejoice in what they have with God. They even break out next into a song of deliverance. And here's some of the lyrics. They sing, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. God's people have witnessed what God has brought them through. And look how they now describe that the identity they have with God. They say things such as, the Lord is, is, is my strength. They don't say the Lord is strong. There's this personal conviction. They say, no, no, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord is my God. There is this personal, all-in, sold-out allegiance to God. They're saying that their identity now is not found in what happened, and it's not found in the past. It's entirely found in him. It's found in his love, and it's found in his power. And here's the thing. When you find your identity in God, you will always have all you'll ever need. When you truly know, here's how you know when your identity is fully found in God, you don't need anything else to add joy to the life. You don't need a house full of stuff. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need the new car. When your identity is in God, you'll always have all you'll ever need. And when you find your identity in God, you will live a more purposeful life than you've ever imagined. And God loves when when we are letting our identity be found solely in him. He loves when our identity is rooted in, in what he says. And we don't try to define ourselves by other measures. He delights in that unity. He loves it. But, but here's the thing. God knows that, that we don't always stay fully planted there. God loves when we're sold out, when we're like, this relationship is all I need. This relationship defines me, nothing else. But God knows we don't tend to stay there. 
we tend to drift. Um, Sin has almost wired us to drift. Temptation begs us to, to look for our identity outside of that relationship with God. And what happens at first, it seems very slow, it seems very casual, but, but when we start to drift, we can quickly allow our faith life to be about checking boxes. Well, I guess I'll go to church. God, my identity's in you, but it, I guess I'll do my devotional. Um, I guess I'll throw something in the offering plate. We know our identity isn't fully found in God and starting to drift when we just go through the, the emotions. There's just apathy. What ends up happening is you start walking away. And this can become a routine as, as we try and find our identity in other areas of life. And God knows that is how we tend to be. So shortly after redeeming his people in quite the miraculous way, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them uh, these rules that would govern their lives. I like to, to consider them as guardrails per se, that God had for his people that keep them from veering away from that relationship. And one of those Ten Commandments was about idolatry. Idolatry, it sounds like something we don't struggle with, but we do. Um, it sounds like a word that we would uh, never say describes or defines God's people today, but, but it does. Because idolatry is an excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. Excessive devotion to or, or reverence or beholding some person or thing. And I tell you when idolatry happens in the lives of God people, God's people. Idolatry happens when we cease to believe that God is enough and we try and find our identity in other things. We may not think we struggle with idolatry today, but I promise we do. Because idolatry happens when we stop believing that God is enough and we need other things in this life to bring us joy. It's God plus. That's what I like to call it. And about idolatry, about that way of thinking, about looking for identity elsewhere, God says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow to, down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. You see, despite saving them, despite them singing, God, you're my song, God, you're, you're my God, you are my Lord, you are my strength, God knew their hearts. He knows ours. He knew how easy it would be for, for us to settle for being saved by him, yet becoming overly devoted to other things as time goes on. We can get so easily distracted. We can get so easily impatient, which is exactly what happens to God's people. So shortly after that they're freed, Moses, the leader of God's people, he goes up onto the mountain to receive instructions for leading these people. And this is, I'm shocked this happened, but I shouldn't be. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses, they were just saved, okay? When, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, which is Moses' brother, and said, come on. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt, right? They're talking to his brother, right? Moses just led them out of Egypt. They're like, he's been gone a little bit longer than, than what we planned. So uh, can you make us some other gods, right? They act like they don't even know him. They've completely given up, not just on Moses, but they want other gods. But remember, remember that gold we talked about? Um, that, that gold that God had the Egyptians uh, cough up to his people when they're on the way out of town. We mentioned it earlier. Well, here's why that's important. That same gold shows up here. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. 
All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they took the gold that God had given them from Egypt, and they used that gold to make their idol. I know we've not done that exact same thing, uh, but let me tell you, what I do know is that we are often tempted to worship what God has blessed us with instead of worshiping God himself. We are so often tempted to worship the life, the things that God has blessed us with instead of worshiping God himself. We get so enamored with good things he has given us at the expense of worshiping him, the best thing, and that is idolatry. And idolatry still impacts our identity. And now secondly, they use the gold to to shape their idol into the shape of a a golden calf, right? Maybe you've thought that this is just, they they tried a duck. He couldn't, I can't make a duck, right? Well, just can you make a cow? We can make a cow. That's not what happened here. Like they used the the gold to to shape it into a golden calf because there were two false gods that were prominent in in Egypt at this time. Their names are Hathor and Apsis. And they were idols of joy. They're idols of deliverance. They're idols of celebration and love. And, And Hathor and Apsis, they were shaped like bulls. So what is happening here has happened all throughout history. It's happening in many hearts still today. We are tempted to find our identity in the things that God has created or the things that the world is worshiping rather than in God himself. It's this God plus it's God. I know you saved me. God, I believe in you. God, I will go to church. I'll put it in the offering plate. I'll do my devotions, but I need other things. I need other things to fulfill me. I need other things to give me my value and my worth. That is idolatry. And that is the recipe for a a very mundane life. I I believe this is why so many people are just wishy-washy and and uninspired in their faith. They don't want to let God give them an extraordinary life, right? And I've done this for many years. Because we're still looking for that identity, that that worth, and that that value in other areas. We're, We're just not going all in. And so we often worship and give excessive time to the wrong things. Now, if you want to know what you're worshiping, If you really want to know where you are looking for your identity, here's a question I want you to ask yourself. What am I giving most of my time, energy, and resources to? What am I giving most of my time, energy, and resources to? God, he never intended that that for us, he would just be the God of Sunday. He wants to be the God of every moment in in our lives. So, So what are you giving the most time, energy, and resources to? Is it, is it your job? Is, is it your hobby? Is it money you're trying to accumulate all this stuff? Is it your talents, your, your resources? Is it your social circles? Is it, is it the causes that you're so passionate about, the groups you're a part of, the worries or fears in your life? What are you giving most of your time, energy, and resources to? Whatever the answer is to that question, that's where you're looking for your identity. That is the idol that you are hoping will fill you. Be and behold, what we worship, it gets inside of us and it affects who we are. and has a drastic impact on our relationship with God. What we have to remember is that from the very beginning of time, we were people who were made in the image of God. We are loved by God. We are adored by God. So our God-given identity is only found when we behold God. When we set our eyes and our hearts upon him and nothing else. Only when we genuinely seek, 
not just on Sundays, guys, every second of every day when we genuinely uh, seek our identity in the creator of life, will we start to be able to live the life that he has desired for us to live. And that is where you will find your best life, not built by your hands, but by God's. On the book of Matthew, um, we see Jesus, the son of God, he's preaching to his disciples and other people gathered around, but he's, he's pre- preaching mainly to his disciples, flawed people just like you and I, and, and he's giving them all kinds of words to live by. Uh, but he specifically says two things that, that I want to quickly leave you with today. Uh, two things that if we hone in on, I think that it can help to ensure that our identity is found solely in our relationship with God. The first thing Jesus says that I want to point out is he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It's kind of like the answer to that question we just posed. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Folks, your heart follows your treasure. Your heart will always follow your treasure. Your heart will always follow what you desire the most. So where is your heart? Is it truly set on and found in God? Is it really there? Or if you bought into this God plus mentality, you can have a relationship with God, but you honestly admit that it's not been enough to fulfill you. So where is your heart? Because your heart follows your treasure. Keep that in mind as you go about your week. In that same sermon, Jesus also goes on to say, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Now here's how we want to read that. We want to say, seek the kingdom of God above all else Live righteously, and he will give you everything you want. We wish it said that, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. What Jesus is telling the disciples then, I think he's why he's still telling us disciples today, is that when we continually behold him above all else, when we make God our main focus, he will make sure we have all we need, and we won't need to look elsewhere to be filled. Last thing I'll say, and then we're going to pray. If we can trust God with our eternity, I think a lot, of, a lot of us in this room, we have. If you haven't, I'd love to talk with you. It's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. But a lot of us have made Jesus our Lord and Savior. We're, we're wholeheartedly saying, at the end of our life, we believe there's something else, and we're going to have the faith and trust you that there's something else. So if we can trust God with our eternity, then certainly through this series over the next coming weeks, we can learn to trust him with our identity. If we can trust him with our eternity then we can learn to trust him with our identity. Let's pray. God is, I believe you led the the words that has made up this teaching um, all week. All I kept hearing echoing through my own head was guilty, 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 guilty. Because I have had a relationship with you for many years. And I feel like I'm constantly battling through seasons of, Feeling like it's not enough. I, I need a relationship with you, but, but I need more stuff. For many of us, I think we buy into that. We, we have this idea that we know we love you, we're in a relationship with you, but we need other things to really feel fulfilled in life. We need other things to add to our identity. We need that new car, that, that, that new van. We need that bigger house. We need that man cave. We need that she shed. God, there's all kinds of things that that we think we need, and let's call it what it is. It's idolatry. I'm shocked that that 3,500 years after 
your people got impatient and, and made a golden calf, that we're still struggling with the same thing. Where I'm thankful is that you are still the same God. You are loving, you are patient, and you are forgiving. You're also jealous. You want our hearts. You don't want us to give out little pieces of it anywhere else. So God, help us this week as we go about, uh, help us to pay attention to the things that we're overly devoted to. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our exercise routine. Maybe it's our work. Maybe it's our bank accounts. Allow us to see where we're giving our heart away and realign it back to yours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.